Well, this morning, I wanted to, um, in this, take the opportunity uh, with considering the fact or in view of the graduation, I wanted to talk to you about a teachable heart, a teachable heart, something that seems to go missing in our generation, in our society at large, especially here in the West. Nobody's, allowed, nobody's able to receive anymore. They don't receive instruction. They don't receive correction. They cannot receive from anyone. All they can do is project. This is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I want. This is what I demand. And as you can see in the generation, this generation, we have lost the, the insight into how important it is to ourselves have teachable hearts and encourage those around us to have teachable hearts and of course raise our children in the same way. Now there's something Christianity at large has lost in translation, meaning that we know terminology but we've lost the truth of it. And this thing that we have lost, this concept that has gone missing because We've lost it in the wording, in terminology. It's a semantic problem. This idea right here is, in fact, a complete game changer. And it is the difference between, the distinctions between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a disciple. As a matter of fact, we were never called Christians, or Christians were never called Christians um, until... The time of Antioch, in Antioch, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we see how the world pointed to the believers, the disciples of Christ, and called them Christians. So in other words, it was the world who called disciples Christians. Today, all we want our families to be are Christians. We just hope somebody would become a Christian. Really, what we should hope is that they become a disciple of Christ. And there is a big distinction between the two. The distinction matters because to be a Christian is understood as somebody who believes in Christ. If you ask anybody in the United States today or in the West at large, like what makes a Christian? They will say somebody who believes in Christ. However, on the other side of that coin, to be a disciple is understood as somebody who has been taught and trained by Christ and as a result, has started following Christ. There's a big difference. Now, it might not seem like that, uh, you know, initially, but um, the difference is massive. Somebody once said, the greatest attribute any person could ever have is the willingness to become. The greatest attribute you could have is the willingness to become. There isn't any one disciple that's ever lived throughout history of humanity, a disciple of Christ, that was unwilling to become. This is the definition of being a disciple, the willingness to become. Christ speaks, we learn, we submit, and we follow. We are therefore now a disciple. But what's happened in people's understanding of what it means to be a Christian is, I'm a Christian because I believe but I don't want to learn anything. I don't want to be corrected. I don't want to be reproofed. I don't want to be exhorted. I, I want to not obey. I want to just believe and I'm a Christian. In other words, I want to have a Savior, but I want to reject Lordship over my life. And that is not possible. 
That is not possible. This is where the, different, the distinctions went missing and people started thinking all you needed to do was believe. Because the Bible says only believe, only believe. Now we're not going to unpack that portion there. But Jesus did say, <laughs> you will know those who believe by their fruits, right? So James made it clear and James said, okay, well then if you say you believe without fruits, works. I'll show you how I believe and it'll be proven by the works. In other words, no, I'm not a believer because I do the right things. I do the right things because I'm a believer. I don't praise in order to be a believer. I praise God because I'm a believer. Right? I don't worship in order to be accepted by God. No, I worship because I have been accepted by Him in Christ. But those actions only is a reflection of how real my faith truly is. But we've lost this in translation by saying, well, people are Christians because they believe. That is not the question, folks. The question of today isn't, are they a Christian? The question is, are they a disciple of Christ? Now, for most part, if you ask people, well, do you guys have a discipleship program in your church? Well, yeah, yeah, no. Everybody's a Christian. And then the real hardcore people, they join the discipleship group. They meet twice, once on Sunday and once on a Wednesday night. I mean, they're highly committed people. They're disciples. That is not how it works. <laughs> a disciple isn't somebody who goes to an extra class once a week. A disciple is, in fact, who Jesus called us to be. He never called us to be Christians. Those in Antioch called disciples and followers of Christ Christians. As a matter of fact, they were called those of the way. Christianity was called the way, the way of Christ. So if you look into ch church history, that's what you will see. So that is why we are today going to look at what it means to be teachable. Because that is the number one sign of a true disciple. They're teachable. They're moldable. The potter takes them and he turns them into, he takes the clay and he's able to turn them into whatever they, he wants for them to be. And that's why we want to look at how teachable am I? Something Christians often are not, but disciples always will be teachable. So here's a sign, a couple of signs, three of them, uh, of the unteachable versus the teachable. The unteachable versus the teachable. Number one is that the clearest sign that somebody has a teachable heart is humility. Humility is a sign that somebody's teachable. You might say it the other way. Somebody is teachable because they're humble. As opposed to the clearest sign somebody cannot be taught is because of their pride. If you see a proud person, realize this, they are not here to be taught. And this is why you will find in our modern day and age, what people do is when they look for a church, they are not looking for a church that will teach them. They're looking for a church that will affirm what they already believe. And this is not good. That's not what we are, right? We aren't here just simply to be affirmed in what we already know. Um, somebody said this. You know, I've preached for 30 years and I've never changed 
any of my doctrine. I looked at him and I thought, my goodness, that means you've learned nothing for the last 30 years. Nothing. That's not something to be proud of, folks. We have to be moldable before the Lord. Every time I come to the Word, I'm looking in a mirror and I'm thinking, oh, this is out of place, that's out of place in my life. That's the picture we were given by Paul, right? You look into the mirror in order to see where I need to bend, where I need to change, where I need to alter. That is being teachable. So the clearest sign that somebody has a teachable heart is humility. The clearest sign that somebody cannot be taught is pride. One of my all-time heroes, R.C. Sproul, said this, quote, You don't have to give up your intellect to trust the Bible. You have to give up your pride. And this is the number one reason why people cannot believe the Bible. Not because they are too intellectual and too scientific. No, they are too proud. Number two, the teachable heart is settled in God's Word. God said it, I believe it. While the unteachable person can never be satisfied by Scripture. Scripture just simply is enough. I like to say this to people. When we start having debates over a certain issue, I like to say uh, when somebody becomes contentious, I'm like, I can actually answer your question, but I cannot answer your argument. I cannot answer your contention. I, if this verse isn't sufficient for you, then I, I can't help you. You realize If this Bible verse, if God's answer to your situation is not enough for you, then nothing about God will be enough for you. So the teachable heart is settled in God's Word, while the unteachable person can never be satisfied by Scripture. To the one, Scripture settles the matter. God said it, so is it. To the other one, nothing is ever a sufficient explanation. 2 Timothy 3, 6 and 7 says this, For among them are those who creep into households, people that wreak havoc in the church. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but never settling in the truth. These people are spiritually unstable. Always gravitating to everything that is the new notion. This is new, that's new, this is a new fad, that's a new belief. This is. They're always gravitating to all these, I call them spiritual gossips. But they do so under the pretense of advancement in knowledge. Well, I just want to learn. I just want to learn. Well, if you're not learning Scripture, you ain't learning. <laughs> you know, like God's not molding you as you read through the newspaper. I don't know who still reads through the newspaper. God molds you because you're studying His Word. Vincent Word Studies says this, Ever learning, those people who are ever learning literally things outside of context or outside of Scripture, learning from anyone who will teach them instead of Scripture. This is a graphic picture of a large class, by no means extinct, who are caught and led by the instructions of itinerant religious quacks. 
These people gather religious quacks around them all the time. They love it because they love the gossip of it. They are not teachable. The one who is teachable says, what the Word says is sufficient for me. What the Word says, that's enough. I am satisfied by that answer. Romans chapter 10, 2 says, For I bear witness, or I bear with them, or I bear them witness, excuse me, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is huge, everybody. Have you noticed how I grew up like this? I grew up very Pentecostal. But there's always an emphasis put upon people having to be zealous. People having to have a great passion. Every service, everybody has to be crying about everything. <laughs> like everybody, uh, You jump up and down at the beginning of the service and you're rolling in the middle of the service and you're weeping at the end of the service and then you're rejoicing in the park, uh, car park. It's, it's like an emotional roller coaster in there. And they have a great zeal for God. But he says, without knowledge, not according to knowledge. So what was Paul saying here? While most have a zeal for God, or they have a zeal for the God they want, Paul is telling us that they don't have a zeal for the God of Scripture because they have no knowledge of Him, right? So yes, even unsaved people can get really excited about who they think God is and what they believe He's going to do for them, especially when it comes to money. They get very zealful and excited about all that they can imagine. But then they open up the Scriptures and they learn about who God is and they go like, well, that's not the one I was getting excited about. So this is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying they have a great zeal, but outside of knowledge. And he was not saying that they shouldn't have a zeal. He was saying that they should have a zeal because of something, not in spite of it. Not one or the other, but one because of the other. They should, be, they should have a zeal. They should jump up and down because they've, and they should shout and sing from their hearts and they should weep because they recognize how holy God is. They recognize how good God is. They recognize His character traits. All worship and praise, all zeal should be a response to who you see who God truly is in Scripture. Oh, I tell you what, you can go to some of the most lively crazy charismatic churches, it'll be like a bucket of cold water when you open up the scriptures and say, well, this is the God you're excited about. <laughs> this, is, this is Him. And Paul was saying, no, it should be with knowledge of who God is. And that is true zeal. That is the zeal we ought to have. You can't have it unless you study who He is, Right? So the second point is teach, the teachable heart is settled in God's Word. It's settled in God's Word. It's sufficient for me. This is who He is, and I glorify Him for how perfect He is, how holy He is, how just He is, how righteous He is, how loving He is, how kind He is. All of the above causes me to have high worship and high praise. But the unteachable heart can never be satisfied with Scripture. Number three, and the final one, is that the unteachable person hates correction, while the teachable person finds correction to be a true sign of love. The unteachable person hates to be corrected, 
while the teachable person finds correction to be the true sign of, wow, God loves me. He just corrected me. He loves me. So let's first talk about the makeup of the unteachable person. He hates being corrected because his value is wrapped up in his own opinion. My opinion matters. Actually, no, it doesn't. Neither does mine. Ultimately, it's God's opinion that matters, right? So the makeup of the unteachable person is they identify with their opinion in such a way, and you've seen this, you've seen this all over our society. The moment somebody's opinion is not taken seriously, they fall apart. Why? Because you just rejected them. Like, I didn't reject you. I rejected your bad idea. That's all. And you are not your bad idea. Look, if you become willing and teachable, you'll start giving good ideas. <laughs> You're right. Ideas are not equal. To question his view is to judge him as a person. To, to disagree with his view is to hate him as an individual. Stop hating me. <laughs> no, we're not hating on you. We just really dislike your thoughts. He hates being corrected. To correct his view is to offend his feelings. It's clear that the unteachable person cannot distinguish between their identity and their thoughts. Everything about the unteachable person points to an overbloated ego and fragile ego. This is why the unteachable person is actually the way they are because they are rooted in pride. They cannot receive correction because in his mind, correction means that they weren't esteemed the way they should have been esteemed. 1 Samuel 15.23 says this, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin is equal to witchcraft. And stubbornness, watch this, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I always used to pride myself in being stubborn. Like, man, I'm a stubborn German, Dutch, South African. We're boars. But that's not really something to be proud of. It says right here, and stubbornness is as, is as iniquity and idolatry. And then it says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. In other words, you saw the word of the Lord, but you wouldn't accept it because it wasn't sufficient for you. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he also, he also has rejected you from being king. So he said to Saul. So the truth is, all of us have to deal with our flesh, don't we? None of us here are exempt from having to deal with our flesh. When it comes to becoming a disciple, we want to grow, but we don't always want to change. Newsflash, it takes change to grow. We all want to excel, but none of us really want to be corrected. We all want to be blessed, but... We don't always want to obey. We all want to be loved, but we hate being disciplined. The truth is, people want a Savior. They do not want a Lord. So now, let's talk about the makeup of the teachable student of the Word of God. The teachable student is never offended. 
never offended. Why? Because God's word, not their ego, is the object of their affection. They love God's word. They don't love their own selves. It says it in Psalm 119, verse 165. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Great peace have they which love thy law. Those who love the word of God have peace beyond understanding. I mean, you've got fires going off all, all around the world and around them. And there they are, just peaceful. I, I love this one meme that I saw. Um, this guy, he looks like he's in his 20s, 30s, early 30s. He's sitting behind, a, behind the steering wheel of his car, and he's in very, very heavy traffic. And he's got this big grin on his face, <laughs> real silly looking guy. And the beam says, um, yeah, Reformed theology has its benefits. <laughs> you know, this is God's will for me right now. <laughs> this is God ordained. <laughs> God made this moment and I will rejoice in it. <laughs> the benefits of Reformed theology. <laughs> but there are those of you who have teachable spirits. And God is calling us to have this teachable heart. The teachable student is never offended. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law. And what? Nothing shall offend them. And nothing shall offend them. They're sitting in peak hour traffic smiling. Man, I love God's word. Because I know that's what I'm holding on to. The teachable student never becomes resentful because he knows correction is an act of love. Not hate, but love. Correction is a sign of acceptance, not rejection. In Hebrews 12, 6 and 8, it says, Because the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastens everyone He accepts as His son, endures hardship as discipline, God is treating you as his children. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. Why? Because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. You see, we want to grow, but we don't want to change. We want to be loved, but we don't want discipline. We want to be blessed, but we don't want to obey. And the reason people don't jump into the Word of God and make it a priority in their life to study the Word of God and dividing it rightly is because the flesh is constantly saying, I don't want to change. I don't want to be corrected. I don't want to have to obey. I don't want to be disciplined. I don't want a Lord. So with this, I want to encourage you. Get into the Word of God. But not as a, not as a one-time exercise. So many of you are graduating today. Uh, so many of you here and online. And I want to encourage you that, you know, this is not the end of you studying the Scriptures. This is the beginning of you studying the Scriptures. This is you learning how to. Now is your time to dive in and become all that God has called you to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. 
I know, Lord God, that your word is a seed. Uh, I can do nothing. I can do nothing to help anyone's life change. But all I can do is read your word and encourage people towards your word because, Jesus, you are the word made flesh. The way we respond to your word is the way we respond to you, Jesus. If we reject your word, we are rejecting you. If we accept your word, we are accepting you. If we elevate your word and prioritize it in our lives, we are prioritizing and elevating Christ. If we submit to your word, we are submitting to you. If we reject or disobey your word, we are disobeying you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We love your word. And we thank you, Father God, that you have given us a heart to see the truth, embrace the truth as sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you.